This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Passage of reading is going to be from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The Great Resurrection chapter. I want to begin reading from verse 45 to 49. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterwards the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as, is the, and as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. It is hard for us to imagine just what the world must have looked like to Adam and Eve that they inhabited. Our present day world wonderful and beautiful as it is, is a pale comparison to the Edenic, idyllic world that they lived in before the fall. It was absolute perfection, perfect environment, perfect climate, perfect food, perfect conditions, a perfect marriage, and a perfect, incredible relationship with our Creator. But in spite of all of that, in spite of their perfect existence, they allowed sin to enter in and smashed that perfect place in Eden. Not only was paradise lost to them, but also lost to us and to all of the sons of Adam and Eve ever since. In Adam, Paul says in verse 22 of 1 Corinthians 15, in Adam all die. Adam was the federal head of the human race, and he had completely and utterly failed. God put him in charge to have dominion over everything, but he failed. And so Adam, God's man, was infected with the deadly disease of sin. And he passed that on. And there was no known antidote to sin. So, that means then that everyone that came from Adam was doomed to live a life of failure and defeat because in Adam all die. Who on earth would step in to take Adam's place? Who could God raise up to succeed where Adam failed? Where would God find another Adam, a perfect Adam, an Adam who would not fail, an Adam who did not have a sinful, fallen nature? Surely none of the sons of Adam could fit that bill. Well, if there was no one on earth, then it would have to be someone from heaven. 
But heaven doesn't have any perfect men, only forgiven men, angels, and seraphim, cherubim, and even the living creatures around the throne of God would not be able because it would need to be a man. No man was available. Adam's substitute would have to be perfect and sinless and powerful and spotless, but no man existed on earth and no man existed in heaven. So where is God going to find such a man? Isaiah prophetically answers that question in Isaiah 6 and 8. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. And this of course was a prophetic, this was prophetic of God sending his son to be our substitute. But think for a moment. God couldn't send his son as the son of God alone. He had to be a man. He couldn't simply send his son as the son of God. He had to be a man. As the last Adam, as Paul calls him, he had to be flesh. He had to be a human being. He would have to become the son of man. And John writes in John 1, 14, the word, or Jesus, became flesh and came and dwelt amongst us. And we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. And as the Apostle Paul also said in Philippians 2, verse 5, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And so, God sending his son, his only son, to earth, to become our last Adam was the greatest, the most glorious, the most incredible thing that had ever happened to the face of the earth. No wonder the angels sang when they announced the birth of our Lord Jesus. No wonder little baby John in the womb of Elizabeth leapt for joy when Mary, who was pregnant with Jesus, came into her presence. Can you imagine that? That something happened in the spirit where that little baby John literally leapt for joy because of the presence of Jesus, even in his mother's womb. And so the first advent of Jesus Christ was the most extraordinary event the world had ever seen. And so this last Adam came to succeed where the first Adam failed. This last Adam came to restore all that the first Adam lost. And in fact, more than that, in Romans 5, Paul says much more. <coughs> and we'll come to that in a moment. 
This last Adam came to pay the price for the sins of the first Adam and for every son of Adam that was born ever since, which includes us, of course. But this last Adam did not come to a paradise. They came to a sin-cursed fallen world. And he came in abject poverty. And he didn't come to a palace. He came to a manger. And unlike the first Adam, the Bible says he was begotten, not created. He was begotten, not created. He was born of a woman. And as John said, the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And part of the great Advent story, and this is the first Sunday of the Advent season, this is why I'm sharing this, part of the great Advent story, of course, major part of it is the fact that Jesus came as a human being, born of a woman, and born a natural birth, a supernatural conception, but born a natural birth the way any other human being would be born. It's incredible that the creator of the ends of the earth would do this for us, but he did. No wonder Paul says in 1 Timothy 2.16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, that God was manifest in the flesh. At the heart of the Advent story is this business of God himself being manifested in the flesh. So to be our substitute, this last Adam would not only have to be the son of God, but he'd have to become the son of man. Now this whole business, this whole idea of a first Adam and a last Adam, I know sometimes we often say the second Adam, and I suppose you can say that, but actually Paul calls him the last Adam. So I'll stick to that this morning, the last Adam. This whole business of a first Adam and a last Adam, it forms a very vital part of our whole understanding of our salvation. It's at the very heart of it. It's the key to knowing why we are born again and why we need to be born again. How does God save us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ? And Paul explains this in Romans chapter 5, which we'll go to in a moment. Adam was the head of the federal, the federal head of the race of men, human beings, but Adam sinned and he lost his dominion, he lost his headship, and he brought all men into condemnation and death. But Christ came to become the, the federal head of a new creation, of a new race of men and women of the sons and daughters of Adam, born again of God's Spirit. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation, a species that has never been before. Spiritual beings filled with the Spirit of God, born again from above, not just simply the fallen sinful sons of Adam anymore but a new creation in Christ Jesus. And so he was born to bring men into righteousness and life. 
And as the human beings, we identify with the first Adam, but as a race of newborn sons of Adam, then we identify with Jesus, the last Adam. And by Christ's death on the cross, we have been born again. We have been made righteous. We have been made the sons of God. This is the much more that Paul speaks about in Romans chapter 5. If we could go to Romans chapter 5. Now we know that if all of us traced our ancestry right back, you know, recently I, I was reminded, I don't know how it came into my head, but whenever my daughter Claire, when she was at McGee College up there in, in Londonderry uh, doing her degree, she rang me one day, she says, Dad, I've been in the library and I've been hooking and poking. And she says, you'll never guess what I found. She says, I found a book about a former moderator of the Presbyterian Church, and his name was Dowdy. And she says it's spelt the same way as our name because not too many spells it the way we, our name is spelt. I says, that's interesting. I'd like to read that. She says, well, I can't really take it out of the library, but I'm just letting you know. So that was years ago. Forgot all about it. So a couple of weeks ago, it came into my mind, and I thought, well, I can Google that. And I Googled And lo and behold, there was the book itself. There was the actual book, and somebody had scanned the whole book, and you could read everything, and you could read when he was born and when he died and where he served as Bolly Halbert and when he became the moderator, all the rest of it. And his lineage, the lineage of the Gaudi, actually is a Nordic name. It came from Denmark originally. And it was, and then it came into Scotland as Goldie, and then Gaudi, when it came over here, I suppose, with the planters. And, and so if I, that's as far as I traced, by the way. But if I traced all the way back, and you would be the same, all of it would go back to Adam, because all of us are from the lineage of Adam. And all of us belong to that fallen race of the sons of Adam. And because we are racially linked to Adam, then our sin is also linked to Adam, also. And so Romans 5, verse 12, it says, Therefore, just as though one man's sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus spread death to all men, because all have sinned. Then he says, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. So what is all that saying? Put your thinking hats on for a moment. First of all, the law that was given by God to Moses is a law that condemns us because we never could keep it fully. And it condemned... That's what the Bible talks about, the curse of the law. And the curse of the law is that we could not keep it wholly, completely, entirely. We would fall short again and again and again. The law was given that, that we might know that we were sinful. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And we then know the depths of our sin. But Paul here is saying in the verses we read that, that that law, that law from Moses onwards condemns us. But what condemned men from Adam to Moses? Because there was no law then. And man didn't sin the same transgression as Adam sinned. So what condemned men? Adam sinned condemned men. The fact that we were born 
of the lineage of Adam, that disobedience of Adam, that sin of Adam, that offense of Adam, then is carried spiritually by us also. So we're condemned. It's not just condemned also because of the sins we commit, but because we're in Adam. Because little babies, they don't sin, but they die. So every man dies. Why? Because of the sin of Adam. Yes, we'll be accountable for our own sins. But we die because of the sins of Adam. This is what Paul here is saying. So, in Adam, all die. Now, let me ask you a question. Does it seem fair and right and proper that the whole of mankind should be condemned because of one man's offense, one man's disobedience? Should everybody be condemned because of one man's sin? Does that seem fair? Does that seem right? Well, not only is it fair, not only is it right, but actually it's a stroke of genius in God's part. How so? Well, since God allowed sin and death to reign through one man, the first Adam, then God also allowed righteousness and life to reign through one man, the last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. So as every man was condemned under Adam, then every man could be saved under Christ. Hallelujah. If every man was being rejected by God under Adam, every man could be received by God under Jesus Christ. It's a stroke of genius in God's part. Only the mind of God would have thought of this. And so verses 15 and 19 of Romans 5, But the free gift is not like the offense, for if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came for the one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace or the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one Christ Jesus. Therefore, as though one man's offense judgment, as through one man's offense judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Huh. Isn't that wonderful? Paul had such a revelation of salvation that no other man ever had. I know sometimes when you read chapters from Romans in different places, even Peter says, Paul says some things hard to understand. But he's such a forensic mind. And he was able by revelation to understand this is what happened. That's a wonderful thing. Let me, let me just, if I may, just read that from the New Living Translation. Just, to, if, if necessary, just to make it slightly clearer. All right. Let me read that from verse 12 again. When Adam sinned, when Adam sinned, sin entered the entire human race. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given. 
as though, were, uh, as though there was no law to break since it had already not been given. They all died anyway, even though they did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. What a contrast between Adam and Christ who was yet to come. And what a difference between our sin and the God's generous gift of forgiveness. For this one man, Adam, brought death to many through his sin. But this other man, Jesus Christ, brought forgiveness to many through God's bountiful gift. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but we have the free gift of being accepted by God, even though we are guilty of many sins. The sin of this one man, Adam, one man, Adam caused death to rule over us. But all who receive God's wonderful, gracious gift of righteousness will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brought condemnation upon everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness makes all people right in the sight of God and gives them life. Because one person disobeyed God, many people became sinners. But because one person obeyed God, many people will be made right in God's sight. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful kindness became more abundant. And so just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful kindness rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Hallelujah. Because of one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Because of one man's obedience, many were made righteous. The first Adam brought judgment. The last Adam brought justification. The first Adam brought condemnation of sin. The last Adam brought cleansing from sin. The first Adam brought death. The last Adam brought life. The first Adam brought ruin. The last Adam brought righteousness. What? What a difference between the two men, between the first and the last Adam. 1 Corinthians 15, where we began this morning, is, as I said, the great resurrection chapter. Now, you have to understand that the Greeks, the Greeks had a notion that when they died, that somehow or other, which they couldn't explain, that they would pass into another life in another form. And it was very nebulous and vague and ethereal, but they believed in some kind of afterlife. Now, you have to understand that the Corinthians, growing up with those beliefs as Greeks, and with the Greek mindset who had now become believers were struggling somewhat with the idea of a bodily resurrection. The bodily resurrection of Jesus is vitally important to the Christian faith. The bodily resurrection of Jesus is important to us because one day we will be resurrected bodily. And so in order to, to get them to understand and to get their mindset away from that nebulous, ethereal nonsense, 
but to get them to see and understand that Jesus Christ did rise again from the dead bodily, not just spiritually or some kind of vague thing, but physically, bodily. And he proved that, didn't he? He showed himself alive with many infallible proofs 40 days after he's resurrected. And so Paul wants them to understand that. So that's why he, he writes in this wonderful book of 1 Corinthians, he writes this whole chapter, and it's an absolute masterpiece of a chapter regarding the resurrection. I don't know what any preacher would do if you hadn't got that chapter when it comes to conducting a funeral. What hope would there be? There'd be nothing definite. People be wishing for something out there, something happening, but nothing definite. But we can, bearing believers in Jesus Christ, we have the full assurance and we can declare that absent from the body, present with the Lord. We can declare that there is a resurrection, that one day we will be resurrected again unto life. And so Paul writes here, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is where we started. Let me just read just a little bit of this here. Verse 12. Now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? By the way, you know the, the Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection uh, either. <laughs> Shamefully. There's a, a, a massive amount of Church of England bishops doesn't even believe in a bodily resurrection. And the whole lot of them needs to sign on the brew tomorrow and get out of the ministry. They're an absolute disgrace to the Christian church. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how does some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, we're found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he, whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Those who have died in Christ have perished. And if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're of all men most miserable, pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the death, of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God the kingdom to God the Father when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who puts all things under him is accepted. Now when he, all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself Will, be subject, will also be subject to him who has put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized from the dead if the dead do not rise up at all? Why then are they baptized for the dead? You see, that was a... That was a there, there's no scripture to tell anyone to baptize anybody for the dead. It's the only time the whole scripture is mentioned. So obviously there's people doing that in that day for whatever reason probably because of the Greek mindset of some transmigration into another world somewhere. Uh, 
But actually, Paul's not advocating anybody to do this. He's making the point, if you don't believe in the resurrection, why in the world are you, res- why are you baptizing for the dead if you don't believe in the resurrection? He's being a bit sarcastic, actually. That's what he's being. And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting of in you, which I have, I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me if the dead do not rise? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. <clears throat> but someone will say, how are the dead raised up? With what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there's one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another flesh of fish, another flesh of birds. There's also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown in natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written. Here we come back to the first Adam and the last Adam. And so it is written. The first Adam became a life, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He had the power of resurrection. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterwards the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. What a chapter. None of us had a choice regarding our first birth. We were all born into Adam's race. But all of us do have a choice regarding our second birth. And thank God we have that choice. That's why Jesus offers the choice. You must be born again. As Wesley so beautifully put it, and what we sing as a Christmas carol, mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth, hail the heaven-born prince of peace, hail the son of righteousness, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. God could have just left us as the victims of Adam's sin. Living in a broken world with no hope of escape, trapped forever in a cycle of sin and judgment and death. But he already had a rescue plan plan in place. Ephesians 1, 3 and 4, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy 
and without blame before him in love. Before Adam ever sinned, God already had a plan. God already had an answer to that problem. And Paul says, before the very foundation of the world, because God knows the end from the beginning. The first advent that brought forth the last Adam. It was no panic measure by God. You know, very often whenever, if I can use a computer term, very often whenever there's a new operating system comes out for your computer or your phone or whatever, how many times just after it's released you find a bug in it? And that's why you never upload the latest operating system for about two or three weeks till all the bugs are taken care of, if you have any sense. And now there was a major flaw in the, in the Apple operating system uh, for, the, for the Macs. And there's a great scramble to get a patch to fix it. And there's certain codes that are used and something was missing. Somebody overlooked something. Somebody made a mistake, whatever. And so there was a back door a hacker could use to get into your computer. So suddenly, the operating system makers, they put a patch and they stopped that. But they didn't know about it, otherwise they wouldn't have needed a patch. But God didn't need a patch. It wasn't a panic situation. When Adam fell, God already knew he was going to fall. He already had a plan made for that. Contingency plans were already in existence before the foundation of the world. Hmm. I like John Byram's old Carl. Here's just one verse. Well, may we keep and ponder in our mind God's wondrous love in saving lost mankind. Trace we the babe who hath retrieved our loss from the poor manger to the bitter cross. Tread in his steps, assisted by his grace, till man's first heavenly state again takes place. Some of these old hymns, the words are just tremendous theology. They really are. And so at this beginning of the Advent season, as we begin to focus our thoughts on the first Advent and remind ourselves why Christ came. And the beauty of being a believer is we have two Advents to think about. One we look back to Christ's first coming. One we look forward to his second Advent, his second coming. Hallelujah. And so as we contemplate over these next few weeks the first advent and remind ourselves why God sent his son then we can think about the second advent and how that son is coming back for his sons and his daughters and what a joy that's going to be yes humanly speaking by race we're the sons of Adam but spiritually speaking we're the sons of God. We're the daughters of God. We're in the family of God. Amen. And we know that because our lives are different now. Glory. And we look at the world differently, don't we? And we look at Christmas differently. 
And we look at Easter differently. And we look at the... We don't traditionally in this church follow the Christian calendar. Many churches do, and it's not a bad idea, by the way, because each period of time and season reminds us of Christ and what God has done for us. And so it's wonderful, isn't it? This wonderful message of Christ coming to this earth and living and dying and rising again for us. And he's coming back soon and very soon. And as I look at the 10 o'clock news at night, I think to myself, it's sooner than I even think. It has to be soon, hasn't it? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for sending your son, the last Adam. And we thank you that there's no need for another Adam. <laughs> the last Adam fulfilled everything, everything we will ever need, everything we shall ever have, we will find in the last Adam. And so we thank you, Father, for that, for giving up your son, for you making that sacrifice for us, we bless you today. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming, for saying, here am I, send me. When no one else was fit for that bill, you came and you withheld nothing for us. You gave everything, even to the point of death, even to the death of the cross. So we give you thanks this morning for this new life that you have put within each of us the testimony that we have of your goodness and your faithfulness. We bless you today, and we give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information www.mpc.org.uk